the visitor to web pages are high intent. They're trying to solve a problem. They know they might be qualifying a service here. So they're very likely to spend more time on that URL. A visitor to a blog post is normally lower intent. They came from a traffic source where they know there's a 500 articles and they might go back. And so to keep a lower intent visitor, you need to have content that's more visual. Yet we say websites are designed and blog posts are written. In fact, the key skill is probably websites are written and blog posts are designed. Who are you talking to? What are their information needs? How do you hold them? What is the risk of losing them? Like, where are they in this process? So for a B2B high consideration service, it's not the design of the website that matters, it's the writing. And for an article, a how-to thing, you know, for a, you know, a visitor who is interested but not super committed, then you need to really make sure there's a visual at every scroll depth. <laughs> no matter how far down they scroll down this page, they're gonna see a visual. This is Brand Story, a podcast celebrating the stories of real people who are making an impact on brands, business, and the world around them. Welcome to Brand Story. My name is Steve Gilman, and my guest today is Andy Crestodina. Andy is the CMO and co-founder of Orbit Media Studios in Chicago, and he's been working in the digital marketing space for over 20 years. He's the author of Content Chemistry, one of the best books on content marketing that you can find. And he was named one of the top 10 online marketing experts to watch by Forbes among a huge list of accolades. And if you're in digital marketing or in the marketing world, you've probably seen his published work on websites, on LinkedIn, on blogs. He's very prolific. And Andy, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, Steve. It's an honor. This is going to be really fun. Um, you know, I've, I, we've followed Orbit forever. We've worked with you guys years and years and years ago. And we love your work and we have a lot of respect for what you do. And my VP, I believe, see, saw you at Content Marketing World. And uh, so we're, we've been fans for a really long time. Well, thanks for saying that. Uh, I guess something's working. Um, <laughs> yeah. But we're both, uh, but that event is where a lot of people first connected. So yeah. uh, it's kind of, we all, a lot of us trace back to that. Yeah, it's a good event. So you started Orbit uh, pretty early, like when a, at a time when companies, uh, you know, having a, a website and a good website wasn't exactly the norm. It was like, what, 20 some odd years ago? Yeah. Uh, I started building sites and entered the world of digital in um, uh, January of 2000. And this version of Orbit was started in April of 2001. So that was an era when, you know, there was like a skip intro button, people's <laughs> home pages and yeah. like lots of weird animations. And, you know, everyone was afraid of scrolling. So everything sort of squished in this little, little box on 800 by 600 screens. Long time ago. Yeah, a really long time ago. And since then, you've done a ton of consulting work in different industries. I know that. And as, and especially around content and web design and, and making great websites instead of, you know, badly designed and badly operating websites. Um, that's what you're known for. Is there something that comes up again and again when you're, when you're helping companies think about content? Is there any common problem that companies seem to have? Yeah, it's uh, basic empathy is the thing that people tend to miss. Wow. So if you ask yourself, go pull up any page on your site and go to any scroll depth on that page and ask yourself, what's in it for the visitor? Does this uh, answer a question? Does this address an objection? Does this add evidence to support one of our answers? Um, is, it, is it clear what the value would be to them? I mean, if you were this person, would you care? And a lot of sites, a lot of pages just sort of fail that basic test. 
Um, they don't they don't answer the what's in it for me. Yeah, that's really interesting because I feel like that is a problem with almost all marketing. Not all marketing. Sure. <laughs> like, so true. I mean, I've said those exact words, but I'm not talking about web design. I've said mm-hmm. that about outbound marketing and inbound marketing and literally almost all storytelling. You know, when you if you tell someone a story from your point of view and you're not thinking about what they get from the story, it's not very good for them. Most sites, it's kind of just we love us. <laughs> It is. That's what most sites are saying. Yeah. And uh, that's a problem on social media too. It is yeah, all over. All over. A quick example. Uh, I was on a call yesterday with a client that that is um, very frustrated at the slow growth of their Twitter following. Obviously not a, a, you know, a KPI for most of us. Obviously a, a wildly overvalued metric in a lot of, uh, for a lot of marketers. But uh, sort of valid in their case because they're super relevant and the Twitter following is tiny. So you're looking at it like, yeah. Let's take a minute and think about this. And the bio, the Twitter bio, was sort of, we love us. It was like a little bit of mission and a little bit of about us. Anyone can grow their social following faster by writing a bio that sounds more like a call to action. Follow us to get you know, video interviews with business leaders from, like put your content strategy into your Twitter bio and you will see faster growth. Same, same issue, Steve, just what's in it for them? A lot of times when uh, clients and uh, other companies that we work with are like, why don't I get any engagement on social media? Like, why do I only have, I'm doing all this stuff. Why do I only have 2000 followers on Instagram or fill in the platform? Really? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, what is it that I'm, you know, if I, if I do this more, or I do that more, will it work? And I'm like, well, you might want to add value and help, you know, you might not want to use it as a virtual bulletin board about yourself. Yeah, that is, uh, that's true all over the place, you know, people, uh, it's true in search uh, as well, although the audience there is, uh, you know, uh, arguably an algorithm, uh, although informed by human behavior and, you know, user interaction signals. But people say, why don't I rank for this phrase? The question, my question next is, well, which of your pages is the most relevant page for that phrase? And they have to think about it and they say, well, maybe this page here. Okay, question two, why would Google believe this to be one of the top 10 pages on the internet for that topic? And, they, and the light bulb moment is, I mean, it's evident on their face. They realized, oh, I have to be good. <laughs> that's, that's, I, have yes. to add, I have to offer actual value here. Hang you have on to a add second. value, please, yes. Uh, strange uh, that, that, that that comes up so often. Yeah, isn't it? And it's a, it's a stubborn problem because I think maybe it comes from the days of people wanting to keep things secret, thinking like, well, if I tell you how to do it, you'll just go do it which I think is a f- complete fallacy. It's a ridiculous idea. If you tell people how to do something in a detailed way, uh, and the thing is worth doing and is a difficult thing to do, you're probably writing 2,000 words and you've got six diagrams and uh, you know a bunch of like what ifs and how tos and step by step. The trick isn't you know, stopping someone from doing something themselves and you know, losing business to a DIY visitor. The trick is to get the person to pay attention to this piece you wrote because they're going to get halfway through and stop. Right. You know, and uh, and some of those people will get halfway through, stop, and call you and ask for help. So uh, I can't. It's in the millions, right? The amount of uh, revenue we've generated by by publishing long form, detailed, search optimized how to articles. Um, it is, in fact, the key to our success. Yeah, I mean, your articles and and what I read, it's great because I have that exact same experience with your content. You know, I'm not a search marketer. Uh, I'm a brand marketer. I'm a storyteller. 
And, you know, so I'll read your articles and I have a lot of passion for every type of marketing, but I don't, I'm not deep in every single, you know, technique. So I'll read one of your articles and, you know, I get about halfway done and I'm like, wow, I know one of my people would love this article. I'm going to forward it to them. And then I'm like, Andy's brilliant. That's what I come away with. Job done. That's the job to be done. It's not, um, so uh, where we started was the fear of people giving away too much value. Yeah. Uh, I've never actually heard a, uh, I don't know stories like that. No, I I don't know stories where someone says, Oh, I regret adding, (laughs) you know, putting utility on the internet. Oh, it's a mistake to share this value never, never comes up. Yeah. Cause someone's going to take my article and do what I can do where I've gained it with a lifetime of experience just from this little short article. Yeah. I think it just comes from like a, I don't know. I don't know where it comes from, but it's something that I wish people would get past, you know, cause I think you can add a lot of value and, and then actually help people. Cause even if you just help them start to understand a subject, don't you find that that's what creates an engagement? Yeah. I, I think there are, there's sales training. There's a legacy of sales training materials that say, don't do free consulting. Don't give away too much. Uh, and I went through a sales training, I don't know, 15 years ago. And the coach told me that he's like, no, 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 no. Don't tell them, don't tell don't give too much value away because you know, you, you're trying to, um, you know, bring them closer to you. Um, I think that what that fails to understand is the, uh, the reciprocity bias. You know, um, the people's uh, you know, urgency and lack of time, uh, the competition, because by the way, th- everyone else has written this thing anyway. You decide not to write it. Oh, I'm going to keep my secrets. Just go pretend you're the audience for two seconds and search for the phrase. You're going to find 200 articles that are already, you know, your job isn't to hide this. Your job is to see who else has done it and do it better. I think that maybe that, 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 some of the things that make me wonder that same question, where do they come from? Maybe it's those. Yeah. Well, I think that you've made a good point. That sales training, that sales mentality that was so deep in our culture for so long mm-hmm. is protect what you know because, you know, if you give it away for free, you'll yeah. it'll never come back. And I think the internet, basically. Exactly. And social commerce and so social media has completely flipped that on its head. It's totally blown up. The sales process is basically happening without you all day long every day where your, your potential buyer is doing sometimes hours of research before contacting you. The upside for the sales team is that they don't have to do as much prospecting because if you're good at search and, and um, you know, online social selling or lead gen, whatever the case, it's, it, it's kind of happening. Um, and people who contact you are often highly qualified. Yeah. I read your site. I've talked to people. Uh, I've watched the testimonials, the video testimonials, and, you know, they're, they're sort of placing an order. Yeah. And also, you know, uh, I think what else happens, and I, I, I would bet this happens with your content, is that it's a virtual way to meet you and get to know you a little bit. And then, you know, people buy emotionally. So if they want a higher orbit to work on a site, then all the things they see you doing are the logic they're going, if they read a really complex article or skim it, that's the thing that's going to make them validate their emotional decision. That is even harder to explain to people, I think. And you did a good job of that. It's, it's, um, the real reason why people take action isn't, you know, it's, it, it, it's not really what you think. So being more trans, being unexpectedly disarmingly transparent, uh, and, and open and generous, uh, and, and 
you know, what, what might, might be seen in different eras as like overly sharing, uh, has an emotional trigger, um, which we didn't touch on, but I'm glad you, you, you mentioned that. Uh, and then the other side is if you give away, you know, content marketing is a, is a contest of generosity. And the, and the brand of the person who gives away the most value wins the largest amount of visibility and loyalty and love and leads. So that said, uh, you know, we have like a million or a million and a half visitors a year. What would that cost me? It didn't cost me money to grow, you know, uh, to publish those articles and cost me a lot of time. Um, but, uh, you know, I would have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a month maybe to have that kind of visibility um, had I not started publishing um, 15 years ago. And it would be a different value of visibility. You would be maybe building, which can be important depending on the industry product, yada, yada, but you could be building raw awareness through outbound and raw awareness can do you a ton of good, but only if it connects to adding value. That's interesting. Uh, so as a brand marketer, does ever, how do stories come into advertising? Yeah, I think it's, it's a little bit like what you said about empathy. It's telling not the story you want to tell. So somebody will buy from you. It's telling a story that's authentic about what you care about, what you stand for and what you're against. So it's kind of the, the, it's the other side of the coin where you're offering value. You're also now telling an emotional story that gets me, that makes it easy for me to connect with you emotionally, believe in you and prefer you. Then all the reasons that I can back up my decision to want to buy from you are all those content reasons and all those great things that I can look at and be like, oh, and they're smart. I love them. They entertain me. They please me. They tell me a story I, that makes me feel better about myself because it's true. And look how brilliant they are. That's, um, the, I don't think there's a strong emotional quality to these how-to articles. Right. Um, but they have a face. They do. There's a person there. Yeah. They have, we put contributor quotes in every article. Yep. And you just had a, recently had a conversation about uh, collaboration. Uh, but it's a, uh, I think that's an interesting and important point is that uh, there, uh, even if it's sort of, if, even if it's not obvious, there is still sort of an emotional response to the long form. Yeah, <laughs> I think there is. I think there absolutely is because, you know, one is reciprocity like you talked about. And the other is demonstration of knowledge, you know, like we learn. So, so even if I don't understand what you're teaching all the time and you know or someone else reads it and they don't understand it they get an impression and it's an emotional impression about you by the detail and by the the demonstration of expertise they're attributing certain qualities to you so you're doing brand marketing when you're doing this i never thought of that yeah you're like your brand is i'm smart <laughs> you know because because one and the great thing i'm oversimplifying like crazy but the great thing about you guys and the great thing about you is that it's all true. I've seen you speak uh, tons of times, like in short videos and, and, you know, and then when articles you're speaking and, you know, what you're doing is demonstrating, this is who I am. This is what I care about. And I'm an authority on this. I'm not like a talk at you authority, but it's welcoming. It's, you know, highly intelligent and it's very engaging that way. I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, you should. <laughs> that just, yeah. That's you seem awesome. to that's be pretty. That's the best feedback. <laughs> yeah, you seem to be pretty good at it. I'd keep doing it. That makes me want to uh, 
just uh you know to keep it up and maybe up my game and like go um uh i'm actually i only write an article once every two weeks a lot of it is um you know just uh making things that are were a little bit older continuously visible which is another another trick people say wow you publish a lot it's like not that much it's um and i think that's important people look at things and they say i we couldn't maintain an activity level like that it's like well if you saw it build over time it wasn't ever a huge i was never a frequent there was never any high frequency um our strategy was quality over quantity but um i can tell you i've never never had a greater frequency than than twice a month wow that's amazing it's almost a little like it's a, like a 401k of attention you know <laughs> you're just compounding you're just compounding interest wow. you know that's amazing it's, that's very true yeah you have um once you have uh have you ever heard the term your elbow your, your lifetime body of work yeah no what tell me about that explain that a little everything that you've ever done okay every podcast you've recorded every video you've shot yeah. every uh every article you've written Altogether, you could call that your your elbow, as in your LBOW, your lifetime body of work. That's cool. So the opportunities change when you have more more content out in the world. So let's say you have a, you know a small set of high ranking articles. Well, if you made a video version of those and put the video at the top of the article, you're going to have an automatically successful YouTube channel because those things have durable visibility. Or if you've got articles that were three years old and almost rank high for a phrase. Well, you've got an amazing SEO opportunity to go back and update those articles for those to, to target better those striking distance phrases. These are there's so many examples like this. LinkedIn right now is great for syndicating older articles. So I'm weekly on LinkedIn, but every other article is something that came from, you know, that audience has never seen. Some of them are four or five years old, still relevant, evergreen. But that um, once you've built up the elbow, yeah. sounds funny. <laughs> uh, the uh, you can de easily make it look like you're actually prolific, even though the frequency might not be any higher. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's amazing, and I think that's like when people are thinking, "How do I ever get started?" Just start. Just start. Start with some big ones, some good ones. Yeah. So yeah, how would you? How what advice do you give to people when they're like, "This is too intimidating. I can't do content marketing." Well, what do you say to them? To the first point, it's like, what's wrong with people's uh, general marketing or their websites? Yeah. I don't think it's worth any effort in content marketing until you have at least fixed the fundamental issues with your website because it's like, why make cheese if the mousetrap is broken? Right. How is your contact? So the very end of the process, I think that um, you can optimize starting with the last link in the chain because if that link is broken, nothing else you do matters. So look at the contact page. Does that have humanity? Does that have evidence? Is that easy to use? Great. Next step in next link in the backwards chain. Look at the calls to action that bring people to the contact page. Are they compelling? Did you use specific verbs? Were the calls to action in you know, uh, the most important places? Uh, okay, the next link in the, in the backwards you know, chain of conversion. Look at the service page. Did you, does it have testimonials? Does it answer questions? Does it address objections? Does it have you know, characters and conflict and case studies and people? So once you do all those things, you fix the mousetrap, now it's time for content strategy. Where do you begin in content strategy? I would go with large upfront and publish one or two big research pieces on your site early, even if you have a small audience, um, so that there's new original data. Your site is a primary source for something. And then probably put two thirds of your articles on other people's websites. How about that? 
guest posts. And I did this for years. Right. Most of my content went on other websites because it's a faster path. There's, it's a form of influencer marketing, technically, to like network with an editor and get something pitched and placed. But um, you're going to get more visibility quicker. You're going to grow your authority and links and you know backlinks faster. Uh, and if you do have that strong piece, that original research piece with compelling charts and such, on your site first, you you can include those and reference that all the time in those guest posts. Uh, so that's, I think I would go big on my site with a couple of very strong pieces, maybe a few basic supplementary posts, but then also I'd just be, um, I, the, in the early stages, the majority of my content would be for um, any place that I think my audience might hang out uh, and do that probably for a, a year or a right. couple of years maybe. Um, and then you can start, you know, repurposing those on your own site and, re, and um, it doesn't mean you can't cover the same thing twice. Of course you will. Um, but uh, I think a, a great percentage of posts as guest posts and bylined articles is uh, a, a, a faster beginning. Right. Well, you know, that is probably one of the best ex explanations I've heard on that. And it's a little counterintuitive, I think, to most people that would hear it for the first time. You know, they would think, dip my toe in, do short little things, you know, starting with something that's a big piece. And then getting your content not just on, it's kind of like what we talked about with the sales mentality. I'm going to keep it on my site, but trying to get it on other people's sites, I think it kind of probably illustrates, didn't you start in search marketing? I did. I did SEO before I was a content marketer. Yeah. So I, it feels like your approach is maybe informed by that somewhat. It is. Uh, a lot of uh, marketers that I watch get, getting big results have a foundation in search. Um, it's... But that idea of like start go big with a original with a piece of original research on your site checks the first box quality content, and writing for other people's websites checks the second box quality promotion. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, it's sort of those are the two things you need. The world is not waiting for another medium quality blog post. There's almost no value in writing just up. Oh, Got to turn on a content calendar. Going to have three posts a week. Uh, what should I write about? <laughs> That's not strategic. So, but people do that all the time. Yeah, people do that literally all the time. Yeah. They do it wow. all the time. This is a, I'm having a blast talking to you. This is such a great conversation, man. Um, so do you find, I was wondering about this, you know, you work across a lot of different industries, you know, especially with web and, and content, you know, you're, you're crossing across tons of different industries. Are there any industries that struggle more than others with trying to wrap their mind around how to use content marketing? Yeah, I think that there are, uh, if you go start reading advice about content marketing that's not specific to your industry, you might get advice that won't work as well for you. Uh, so a basic content strategy is going to include um, the words like this, uh, you know, how-to articles, news, trends, stories, interviews, um, it, roundups, whatever the, you know, the formats and the topics. If different industries have different opportunities. I think that uh, nonprofits really need to to double down on stories, that's maybe obvious. Well, maybe not to them. It might not. Yeah, it's um, that's a that's a format that is really special for that uh, for the potential donor. Uh, and there's other industries that think, well, um, you know, we're gonna we need a newsroom. We're gonna publish news. Very rare to meet a content program that's successful with news. That is a massive investment. You know, you can't really compete well with actual news sources. Um, it's not evergreen, so you have no opportunity in search, basically. Yeah, right. It's one and done. You're just moving fast. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, you don't build up a lifetime body of work. Right. If your whole elbow <laughs> in the past is is uh, dated content, it's irrelevant a week later, like yeah. not helpful. I've seen people do that. I don't think that's a good idea. No. No, um, for almost any industry. But uh, I do think that there's industries that have better opportunity to do uh, original research that tends to be B2B, you know, brands for which it's a very high consideration decision. The research can lead to uh, data points that support you in sales. Um, and then there's other other channels where, you know, you just need B2C. Uh, your content maybe should be super visual in some cases, depending on the product. Or, you know, it's a, a travel and fashion are obvious examples. But and I guess these are kind of intuitive, but uh, it's when you meet people and you're writing something or just on a stage and you start to explain in a general sense, you in the back of my mind all the time, I know that it's like, hey, everybody, I'm best practices are just good hypotheses. Yeah, That's all I'm really giving you is hypotheses. <laughs> Go try it if it didn't work. That's the, Brian Massey first said that to me and I never forgot it. It's a great way to think of it. Best practices are just good hypotheses. Yeah, I mean, for each individual company and industry, it, it's gonna be trial and error. It's gonna be, you know, putting it out there, uh, tracking it, seeing if it's working. And there's usually a missing piece if it's not working. And if it wasn't, if that wasn't the case, we'd all have the same content strategies. Yeah, you're right. We'd all have the same websites. Yeah, I was talking to uh, uh, Patricia Corsi, who's the CMO for Bear, and one of the things that she talked about is that you know, for a lot of the things we do, there are actually people like to pretend there's a roadmap for this stuff. Like it's just A, B, C, D, check off the boxes. It's not. It, it almost never is industry to industry or even situation to situation. Because everyone's at a different life cycle, has a unique situation, products, et cetera, so, 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 so forth. But there's tension there because empathy, we know the audience, the reader, the reader of the article or the consumer of, you know, the, the, the viewer of the, of the video, they want prescriptive advice. All of our audiences want prescriptive advice, which is we want to meet their needs, but that's the disservice in a way to try to even pretend that this is, you know, universal to every person who reads this thing. It's obviously not. So I struggle with that. I want I want to, I hate using the word, it depends. I skip that. I just cross that off when I write it and just go straight to what it depends on. Um, but it is uh, from my experience and um, time spent in analytics tracking the performance of content. Uh, it's very obvious to me that it's the, the prescriptive advice and the headlines that indicate that the advice is prescriptive. Um, that tend to perform well. Uh, you just need to give, you You got to put the caveat in there though and just remind people that results may vary. Use your own data. You know, this is not, this isn't a, you know, there, there is no such thing as this kind of universal best practices in anything. Yeah, and that's why it's good to have, you know, talented individuals on the client side or whoever is trying to execute this because you can't just rinse and repeat. It's, there's going to be so many unique wrinkles to it. I've never seen the same situation twice. So writing, it ends up being a big part of your job, I would imagine. And, you know, probably should be for content creators and is a really important skill period. And if you, people aren't good at it, they maybe get better at it by trying and just doing it. But what do you think is the most, second most important skill for content creation? Well, it's, uh, I think it's gotta be the visuals, Yeah. you know, planning and designing the visuals, at least making the drafts for things like, you know, charts and diagrams. Uh, I once tracked the time I spent creating an article and it was uh, around the same amount of time. It was about 30% writing and about 30% creation of visuals. 
Um, this is a counterintuitive thing, and I've never really tried to explain this well in an article, but I'll give it a shot here. The visitor to web pages are high intent. They're trying to solve a problem. They know they might be qualifying a service here. So they're very likely to spend more time on that URL. A visitor to a blog post is normally lower intent. They came from a traffic source where they know there's a 500 articles and they might go back. And so to keep a lower intent visitor, you need to have content that's more visual. Yet we say websites are designed and blog posts are written. In fact, the key skill is probably websites are written and blog posts are designed. Because you want to, you know, who are you talking to? What are their information needs? How do you hold them? What is the risk of losing them? Like, where are they in this process? So for a B2B high consideration service, it's not the design of the website that matters, it's the writing. And for an article, a how-to thing, you know, for a, you know, a visitor who is interested but not super committed, then you need to really make sure there's a visual at every scroll depth. <laughs> no matter how far down they scroll down this page, they're gonna see a visual. So yes, writing for, for content. Uh, maybe writing for copy, um, if you contrast you know, sales pages from articles as in copy versus content. Um, but writing is a key skill, but I think that it's the, the planning and the creation of the visuals, basic photo editing skills, you know, flow charting, diagramming, screen capturing, markup, those uh, basic video editing. Um, that is, uh, that's the difference between good and great content marketers. Yeah, I mean, visual storytelling, especially in this day and age, with how impatient everyone is. You know, if you don't keep, if you don't keep the visual interest, you can lose them. And I love what you said about, you know, once someone's on your site, you would, they probably didn't just stumble there depending on who you are. So especially in B2B, if they get there, you would hope they're higher intent and then, you know, answer their questions, keep them, keep them there, get them what they want. Like, it's almost like welcoming someone to your home and not offering them water or anything to eat and be like, yeah, the living room's over there. I'm, I'll be around. Yeah. Or just showing them ads. Yeah. Right. You know, we, we love us. <laughs> we love uh, us. It, it, that sounded like a, you know, I mean, you're making a comparison, but actually the terms are home page yeah. and visitor. Right. You know, these are not, that's not a stretch to say yeah. that they're a guest here and that we should treat them as such. That's uh, in fact, should be common sense. Yeah. You know, it's really cool. I just, when you're, when we we're talking about this, I realized, so we do a lot of brand experience work, you know, where we'll work with the brand message, but also how it's expressed in the environment. And, you know, it's just like a homepage. There's a saying that I love that, that came from a great friend of mine that, you know, you can do whatever you want, but everything matters. Hmm. Every detail, like you can overlook it if you feel like it, but if you see it and notice it, don't think everyone else won't. Or, you know, if you leave something undone, you know, you come in and it's a beautiful living room, but there's no art on the walls. What, what story does that tell you? Well, this place has a lack of attention to detail. Back to the service page, if there's a, um, the, one of the common gaps is uh, not addressing an objection. Yeah, wow. Because one, one fear, this is emotion again, emotional decision-making, uh, one fear can outweigh, you know, 10 strong positives. Right. You know, if you look at your browsing history and ask, why didn't I convert into a lead on this site? Or why didn't I buy that product? It's almost always because there was a piece of missing information that made you worry and so you went somewhere else. So, um, yeah, you can't, I mean, <laughs> you can do whatever you want, <laughs> yeah. but everything matters and some things matter a lot. Wow. That's great, man. That's key. That is key. That's absolutely true. I mean, if you can imagine the objection that someone right. has in their head and the thing they're afraid of, again, it comes right. back to empathy, you know, and I, I don't think there's a ton of people walking around thinking that websites are about empathy. 
If you're trying to build a website for someone, which we do 55 times a year, and you don't know why, the answer to this question, why wouldn't someone hire you? It's very hard to build that website. It's hard to build a page. Unless you know what people's top questions are and what people's top objections are, how do you, and, and in the rough prioritization that they have that in their mind, how could you possibly build this page to convert well? That's, that's in fact the structure of a web page. Answer, evidence, answer, evidence, answer, evidence, call to action. So yeah, the, um, uh, our clients always give us access to their sales teams. Uh, our best clients give us access to their customers. My ideal in life would be to interview the, the companies that, um, the prospects that didn't hire my client. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? That would be yeah. amazing. I always wish that there was teachers. a way. Yeah, I always wish yeah. there was a way. You know, I love when I get to talk to a dissatisfied customer for a client. Yeah. Because, you know, it's almost like clients, depending on their size, get to a point where they don't want to hear that stuff for real. But as marketers, we really need to hear it. If you know, if you have, if you have a strong evidence that, you know, the main reason why people don't take action on why people don't hire this company yeah. is X or Y or Z, just imagine how much better the conversion rate from visitor to lead will be once you put that on the site, right? Once you address that, um, it's sometimes you can find it out there if you read chat logs or if you look at like one star, if it's a product and there's reviews places, the one star reviews, um, sometimes you can see it on like competitors reviews or, you know, glass door rants just to try to figure out like what the, um, what the obstacle is. Every salesperson knows that you have to address people's objections or else they won't sign on the dotted line. And what we said was that basically what we said earlier was that web pages need to emulate good sales conversations then that web page must also address the objection in order to be fully effective. Um, it's possible the person will convert anyway. And then, uh, you know, you ask you on the phone during qualification, you know, is that, how do you handle this? In our case, it's like, you know, don't all WordPress websites look the same? Or what if my site goes down? Or, you know, will I be able to talk to the designer? Or, you know, will you help me two years after the site is live? That's all things that people are afraid of. Right. I know the fears. These are fears that trigger, you know, everyone's had a bad experience yep. with a web designer. They and have. Like they, yeah. yeah. It's like, what if you don't give me any more rounds of revisions or, you know? Yeah. Like, what if, what if this is a trick? Yeah, basically. Yeah. What if I don't like it? So, um, yeah, it's the job of the page. Uh, and that's true in every industry. So I honestly can't think of many things that are more important than that. Really, you got to prioritize that. Yeah, and I don't think I can. I mean, I can think of a million examples where it, is, it hasn't been prioritized at all, you know. And I could think of some really good examples where it has. But you know, I I think that's the best advice I've heard on landing pages, websites, and just that coming at it from a point of view of empathy. I think that's brilliant. Do you add stories? Do you wrap that in a story? The why? The why not? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like a good story. You know, you, you learn a lesson from every story. You know, there's a beginning, middle, and end, and the hero is always challenged by something. Those challenges the hero hits are basically the objections of the customer. Ah, that makes sense. Like, it, they don't have to be literal, but, you know, if you're going to tell a story and the, the hero is afraid of being tricked and then overcomes that by getting knowledge, you know, everything's an analogy. And it's, you know, so storytelling, it, what's interesting is as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about story structure. You know, because I have a, a my original background was in directing theater, and then and then also marketing. So I always think in story structure because that's how we all communicate with each other. We have since we were around fires, 
So I think that, yeah, absolutely. That's how stories work. So when you're telling a good story, you know, a good story can be three sentences, you know, but if it flows from beginning, middle and end and has, you know, this happened because of this and this was the outcome, you know, it's pretty easy to put yourself in that story and imagine that's your journey, you know? So a reader uses empathy to learn. It's really cool. That's interesting. One of the I've never tried to address it that way. One of the things that we've done and often do is to um, change the messenger. So if the message is we're not going to ban the new after sites live or whatever the address objection we're addressing is to make the uh, use a testimonial for that and get another character in the story to kind of say that like, hey, I'm thrilled you guys still answer the phone on the first ring three years later. Um, that's uh, I, I think of that too sometimes. Like every message has a messenger, and it's a choice of who to use as that messenger. So the the normal marketing statement becomes social proof. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's the that's a great way to do it with testimonial because you get that implied warranty of it not being you saying it. But I think on top of that, it's really strong for brands to just say it as well. You know, to be like, yeah, we have testimonials. Let's say this, but if you were talking to someone, you might say, hey, I know what you're afraid of. You know, this happens to people. I've seen it happen to people. Here's an example. This happened to my friend and this happened and this happened and this happened. And this is what happened at the end. So just by telling you that story, you know, I'm not going to do it to you because I saw it. I expressed your fear clearly. I must understand it. Right. And then also my attitude towards the fear was I don't approve. So therefore, I, I've also given you my point of view. So it's really storytelling is incredibly powerful. You know, and like, I, I, I don't know, I'm a story nerd. So I always think th of things in terms of that. So I've been, I, I, you know, I've watched your content and how you do it. I'm so fascinated by it. And I was saying to uh, Lindsay, our vice president, who's a huge fan of yours, that you're like a living masterclass on how to distribute content. <laughs> you know, you really are. I know you probably don't think that, but you're, I, if someone asks me how to distribute content, I always go, I'll go look at what Andy does. You know, you, the way you repurpose content is brilliant. So do you have any tips for that for people that are listening and they don't even think to repurpose their content? Well, thank you for that. Uh, I don't think of myself as uh, I often look at what I do and feel like I'm missing opportunities here and there. <laughs> sure. So you're making me feel better, first of all. I appreciate I'm happy to because you're great at what you do. So they, there's this big trend toward cornerstone or pillar content. And people talk a lot about the structure of interrelated content. And I think that's important because if you were to make an outline of every every relevant topic to your audience or everything that you know about a topic, then you may quickly find that there's gaps in the outline and things that you haven't published about yet. So doing that, those articles will have instant promotion because there's so many internal linking opportunities. So cross promotion, you know, traffic's easy to win and hard to um, hard to win and easy to lose. So when you have, uh, if you have a visitor and, you know, you should be taking advantage of every opportunity to link between your content because now you're creating an interconnected body of work. So that's a fundamental thing. And it comes from this strategic idea of like all of this stuff fits into a general structure. It's all in an outline in my mind. It's like all the topics in the universe could be organized on some massive fractal and I can, you know, zoom in and find detailed things and pan out and find more survey general list post things. Uh, I think also there's um, when you create content that has a lot of visuals, you always have the chance to use visuals in different places. So uh, probably nothing, you, no visual asset will be used just once. Everything you can go. So you, you make something. Go back and look. What did I make before that could link to this? 
and ask yourself, what did I make before that could use a piece from this? And now these aren't little islands. You're building a mountain. They're all so connected. You're building sort of this, this mountain of, you know, that gets high enough to create real visibility. Um, so that, that's the thing. I think also one way to think of it is that um, you can take something and then repurpose it for another channel. I wrote the how-to article. I'm writing a guest post version of this. I call this the evil twin. You write the how not to article. Or, you know, I wrote best practices. Now I'm going to make this an article about top mistakes. Pitch that. Just flip it. Yeah, flipping that. And then also there's the, the big format, right? You mentioned it. I'm actually working on an edit, uh, an update. But this is mostly a repurpose, an exercise in repurposing. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just thinking more about how this thing could be more connected, how these assets could be used other places, what else have I made other places that could be used here. And again, it's that curve. It gets easier after you've published, you know, 30 or 50 things. Um, that is a, a huge trick, I think, in the uh, in being efficient, saving time, and um, squeezing more value from every visitor. That's really cool. You know what? It made me think of something when you were talking. Um, you know what? That mindset of that, like, okay, well, I created this graphic here. Why would I use it again there? Probably comes from, you know, people sometimes are resistant to reusing things like that. And, you know, your attitude is I'm going to reuse as many times as I can because it's strength. That might be that might come just from a little bit, not exactly the sales mentality, but the old school mentality of like everyone's watching everything you do. Like if everything was a thirty second TV <laughs> ad, common misconception, right? So you know that way. Oh, I already did that. Someone's going to think I'm lazy or I'm not doing anything original. And that's just not how the internet works. It might be how television works, but it's not how the internet works. And it's so ironic because we all sort of intuitively know that the big challenge is getting and holding visit, uh, attention. Yeah. But then at the same time, you assume that everyone had 100% attention on everything that you ever did. <laughs> no way. No, absolutely not. You got to keep at these things. So a lot of articles that I write are actually rewritten articles from three, five years ago. Never once has anyone said, oh, wait, I saw this. <laughs> you mean people aren't calling you on it? I think you've tweeted this one before. <laughs> like, no one ever. You know, what I say to clients like that or, or just we say to each other here is nobody's keeping score. Like, you're, we're not that important. No one's watching our every move. You know, like, yeah, we always use that. Use it again. I went to a dinner recently with a woman who said I was that she was invited to be on a podcast, but she didn't want to do it because she didn't want to go on record. And what if one day she runs for office and, you know, people are going to know that she said, I'm yeah. like, wow, that is Dude. not very likely. Yeah. Also live in the moment. Like, it's okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. just don't, maybe don't scream the F word at the top of your lungs and you probably won't worry about the clip that's on the internet. She has a great story. Yeah, it's too bad it. she didn't share. Yeah, yeah just tell, tell it. it. So, you know, your book, Content Chemistry, I'm glad you, you showed it. Um, so we, we've all read that here. I, I love your book. And um, our team looks at it and, you know, thinks of it as really one of the better books on content marketing. So when you set it up as kind of a lecture and lab sort of setup, why, why set it up that way? Well, there are, you're writing for all different audiences, as usual. You don't know exactly who this person is. And there are marketing leaders who maybe need to understand the theory of a channel. They're not going to go do it themselves. Uh, they have a team for it. Uh, there's other people who are starting at the beginning. And if you tried to go into the deep tactics and how-tos, they maybe don't understand it well enough to know what, why you recommended a thing. 
So lecture and lab, I teach out of the book when I teach courses. I teach a class, two classes a year, one at Northwestern and one in overseas in, in Spain. But uh, it's very useful to have that structure because there's there's theory and practice to everything. And it, if I if you try to go into the deep practice tactical stuff early, it's going to be kind of a boring book. Sure, right, right yeah. <laughs> you got to kind of bring the, people set along. Set the table, yeah. yeah. It's like these things are formats, podcasts, videos, articles, research. These things are channels, search and social and email. You know, this is what, you know, Influ you know, so you, once people understand that, the rest of the book makes much more sense. I think that um, I still meet people who think, you know, yeah, I've got, um, you know, I've got a content strategy. It's called infographics. Yeah, oh, that is not a. That's not that's a strategy. It's a, a format. That's, that's a, yeah. <laughs> How does it fit? Is it repurposing something else? Is it does yeah. it stand alone? Is it with you know influencers? I have a content strategy. It's called take a picture of my CEO giving a donation. <laughs> Put it on the internet. <laughs> Could be a popular post, sure. but it's one. That's a po that's a social media post. That's a social media post. That's not a content strategy. Yeah. That's not a content strategy. <laughs> Strategies have goals. If there's no goal listed, I don't know what you're talking yeah. about yet. Right, it's a goal plus. <laughs> is this oversimplification? Yeah. Goal. Goal. I'm, I'm not an yeah, MBA, go but for it. in my mind, <laughs> I feel silly even saying this. Goal plus plan. Yeah. Equal strategy. Is that most? A strategy is like a plan to yeah, reach a goal, right? Right. And I think that's it. I think sometimes it's like, you know, these days people use the word purpose. They're just throwing it around like mm. crazy in, in brand marketing. I think strategy is one of those words that almost has it become is, meaningless. Yeah. Like, you know, every, yeah, like they people use the word strategy and I'm like, no, you just misuse that. I, I just tr replace it. Plan to reach a goal. That's what I that's what I translate it to in my mind. You got to have one in the first place. The goal I'm sure part. there's a much better definition. I like that one. I think that's kind of cool. So something that I see, believe it or not, in this day and age, I still see companies that produce little or no content. They just don't produce anything because of what kind of what we talked about. Like I took a picture and I put it on social media. That's my content, right? Why do you think that, I mean, you spent so much time talking about this stuff, but if people are listening and they're not content marketers, why is producing quality content so important? A website without content is an online brochure. It's really just an ad. There's no reason to come back twice. Probably it's not, there's nothing to share. There's nothing to rank. Uh, there's nothing to subscribe to. So you, you, you're missing out on all the fun in those three channels, uh, search and social and email. So uh, it's, it, that is what websites were back in, we started with this, right? right. Yeah, <laughs> 2002, <we did. laughs> yep. that was, you know, prior to content marketing, websites were just sales, sales pieces. So, and that may be successful, and I, and I think you can actually get results by just having, you know, search-optimized uh, uh, service pages. But uh, you are seeding massive battlegrounds to everyone else by uh, excluding yourself from this critical part of the sales cycle, which is the, the, the prospect educating themselves. Well, that's incredibly well put. So... Few more questions. I'm going to let you go soon because I know we've been going for a little bit. I think I could probably do this all day with you. I'm having an absolute blast. This is great. Yeah, it's been great. So you know, the future of con the content is always changing. You know what what's going on in content marketing is changing. What do you think's on the future landscape with content? Hmm, it's a really good question. I'm. Uh, I know that you've had conversations on this show before about NFTs. Um, I don't know how that fits in yet. Um, I think that. Uh, Content is a in some in some categories much more than others. It's a war zone and it's so competitive that uh, the future is just like an escalation of that, where uh, 
video becomes ever more important, live formats become ever more important, uh, influencer collaborations become ever more important. So if you're watching on the really competitive, uh, in the really competitive categories, you'll see what the future looks like for everyone else, which is um, content that is uh, longer form, more detailed, yet more easily scanned, uh, content that's more visual, uh, content that's more collaborative, uh, content that's more original. So original research is growing in a trend. You see more of that. Uh, so I don't predict any major changes for the year in terms of, you know, is there going to be a new clubhouse or some different platform? I have no idea. Um, but generally, I think it's the continuation of this where companies that left themselves in the dark will continue to, to be in the dark and that uh, uh, people that are doing are are doing 10x content at least sometimes are going to continue to be the ones that get the most visibility. Really good content and doing it consistently over time and having enough volume really does win the day. So um, I just got a couple quick questions for you. If you weren't a content marketer, which you definitely are, what do you think you'd be doing? Uh, I'd be a teacher, which is very similar. I think I'd be a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. You are a good teacher. I love it. I love teaching. I teach a little bit, I mentioned. Yeah. I think, you, I think you're a great teacher. I think all your content, that's the strength of it, um, is that you're constantly helping and teaching people. And, you know, I think you're bringing a lot of value out there in the world. That's what we all do. Yeah. You too, Steve. Thanks, man. Yeah, I. This has been such a fun conversation. So, final question, and this is just a question: If you know, you've been doing this what twenty-one years now, twenty-two. Mm -hmm. So, yep. if you could go back and give your younger self some advice, what would it be? What would it be today? Oh well, except for the obvious, like should have thought of that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Buy that Apple Regi stock. Registered those domain names. <laughs> Nineteen. What was I doing in nineteen ninety-one? Not registering them. <laughs> I wasn't registering any domain names. That's for sure. Uh, I think I would have, uh, it's not a regret, but uh, I should have been on social two years earlier. Uh, I should have published long form content two years earlier. I should have started doing video two years earlier, uh, you know, befriending and, and co-creating things with influencers and, you know, people like yourself much sooner. And original research, it is such a differentiated format, uh, publishing surveys and studies and results of experiments. Uh, it's what's missing from most content programs. And had I done that, had I, had I started that before I did, uh, who knows where we'd be, but it'd be, it'd be, uh, beyond where we are now for sure. Right. And you all are very successful. So, well, that, that's great. And, uh, I think it's great advice, you know, being a lifelong learner, you're always going to have those like learning regrets or you weren't an, as early an adopter as you wish you were. And that's, I think with me, like, that's one of the things I love about being in marketing. You can't ever stop learning and it's a blast, you know? So NFTs, I, you know, we all know the blockchain is going to change what we're doing. And that's why, like, I've, I've got some other cool uh, interviews coming up with people that help us understand what the impact's going to be in the future. And I think it's just a blast to have things that are happening that are new. It's a great time to be alive. It really is. It's really fun. So, you know, especially when you like to learn and help people learn. So thanks so much for being here today, man. My pleasure, Steve. Anytime. This was a blast. Want to hear more inspiring stories? Subscribe on your preferred podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what we're doing, please rate, review, and share. It's the best way to support us. Thank you for listening to Brand Story.